The Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said, You have heard it said, it was said to those of the ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you if, that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it was said that if you committed that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members for then, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that if anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or one black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. This is another one of those feel-good readings that we get from the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> I, uh, I, I hear this Gospel in a couple different contexts. And, and I think part of this kind of really lays out what, it was, what was different in the time when, when Jesus was around and in ministry and, and what our world is like now. And I, and I want to say up front, this isn't, oh, this world today. Because really people are people. And one of the wonderful things we see throughout the entire narrative of Scripture is that people have not changed. Well... It's wonderful in being able to say that this is still something to applies to us because, you know, the, when we see people acting like people in the Bible, we know they're acting just like we act and we're acting just like they act. It's terrible because when you look at this narrative of Scripture that the oral traditions of it began a long time ago, the written traditions began maybe about 6,000 years ago. So let's just start from there 6,000 years ago and we realize that over 6,000 years, people really haven't changed, that's not good, right? We're essentially the same people. And, and so it tells us that in some ways, the context in which Jesus lived and did ministry is the context in which we live and do ministry. Paul bears this out. You know, look at what Paul did, talked about today. You know, we, we had a few weeks back, Paul saying, I'm glad I only baptized a few of you 
because y'all are over there arguing. I was baptized by Paul, and I was baptized by Apollos, and I was baptized by this person. And none of your baptisms are better. And we see in Corinthians today, these arguments are still going on. They're still arguing about who's better because of who they follow, whether it's better to follow Paul or whether it's better to follow Apollos, you know, whether it's whether it's better to follow Karen or whether it's better to follow Steve, right? I know y'all argue about that all the time. It, but it's, it's people or people, whoever, it goes all the way back to the garden. You know, and this is, this is one of my favorite Bible jokes, even though it's not a joke, but you know, it's, you know, Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit and God sees Adam and Eve walking through the garden and says to Adam, I told you not to eat the fruit. Why did you do it? Well, she made me do it. So God goes to Eve. I told you not to eat the fruit. Why did you do it? Well, the serpent made me do it. And God goes to the serpent. I told, you, I told them not to eat the fruit, and they said you made, me, you made them do it. What happened? And the serpent looks around and just kind of, right? People are people. We pass the blame. We pass the buck. We, don't want it to, we want it to stop somewhere, but we certainly don't want it to stop with us. And so that's part of the context of Jesus preaching today. Now, now, here's the other part of the context. I, I think there are certain parts of this that translate really well for us, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But I think at least one part of this gospel lesson does not translate very well to our modern culture, and that's the, the context, that's the, the teaching about divorce. You know, when, it's funny. When I first read that passage, probably as a young teenager during confirmation, you know, it, it didn't occur to me that this was even a big deal for anybody. My parents now have, have been married for, I don't know, they got married in 1969. So what, 51 years is how long they've been married now? And you know, if you listen to comedians, some of them would say something like, and 30 of them were good. And we, we uh, I, I just didn't, I didn't think about what it was like to live in a family where divorce was a reality because my parents were married. Now at that time, they didn't like each other very much, partly because they had teenagers. But it was, but they were married, and I just thought that that was what you did. And I didn't know that this was a problem until later on a friend said to me, you know, like, my parents are divorced and remarried, and this just said that, that that's sinful. What's going on? And I, I don't know. I was, what, 14? It took me years to figure out how to deal with this. You know, and, and I think I went through some pretty normal phases with it. I went through the, well, well that's what it says, and so obviously this is what's true. And, and somehow so many people are messing up really badly. And then I went through, you know, a couple of girlfriends. And now I, I've been married 19 years, well, 19 years in March. And uh, like 19 of them have been good. Not every day's been good. But, you know, 19 of them have really been good. But that doesn't mean it's been an easy relationship. And that doesn't mean we haven't asked ourselves the question whether we were doing the right thing by being together. I think everybody who has had a relationship has asked that question at some point or another. And, you know, so I, I started to, to understand what the things that would drive people apart might be. And, and after a particularly awful road trip with what then became an ex-girlfriend, you know, I, I began to understand also how someone that you really thought you cared about and loved, and maybe in fact did care about and love, because let's face it, it's not that, that love is fickle or people are awful, it's that sometimes because of who we are and how we grow or don't grow as a couple, you know, there, there are some relationships that the best way to love each other is apart. And that's hard, right? Right? 
And so then I started struggling with, well, God's God. God knows things. You know, God, God's the one who made everything and is making everything. How do we deal with this human brokenness when, when we have this clear word from Jesus about what righteousness is? And, and so that's when I started to, to learn. Fortunately, around that time, you know, it's no surprise knowing that thought process as a teenager that my next stop in college was religious studies, right? And, uh, and so I, I started learning about the context in which Jesus was teaching this. One of the things I learned is this, that in, in the times in which Jesus was living and teaching, marriage was not so much something that we did for love. Throughout the bulk of Scripture, marriage was essentially an exchange of property. And so when we hear the word dowry, and you know, you, you hear jokes even now about somebody saying, well, I gave my best cow and then I got my, my husband or wife, right? Well, that was, that was no joke. That's how people made alliances. That's how people acquired land. That's how people got stuff, was by marrying their children to other children. And, and they united their families in very literal ways. And so the idea was that in uniting our families, we're also uniting our stuff. And the wife would come and become a part of the family of the husband. And so that's the context we're talking about. We're talking about a context in which women didn't have a whole lot of rights. In fact, one of the reasons in the gospel why we hear, and throughout the Bible, why we hear so much about widows is because when a husband died, his stuff went to the family. The widow didn't get stuff. And so if the, if the widow was going to have a living, then it was at either the mercy of the family who was going to provide her with a, with a living, especially if there were some children involved who were then heirs to the family property, or they were often wards of the church. And, and so I wonder, you know, remember last week, we had Simeon and, uh, and Anna. I've been watching a lot of Frozen 2 this week, and so I see Anna and think Anna. And, uh, you know, we see Anna, who was a widow who had lived in the church for years and years and years following the death of her husband. It's a distinct possibility that the reason she did that is because she was otherwise destitute. And, and so when Jesus is saying, you've heard it said in ancient times, that you give your wife a certificate of divorce and she's divorced, you know, depending on who tells this and who talks about it and which set of laws they're referring to depends on just how easy this was. I've, and, and it's hard for me to know who the real authorities on this are and, and what the real laws were. So I'm just going to give you the scope of what I've heard and, and what divorce entailed. I've heard that it could be as easy as you just served me my fifth bad dinner in a row. I'm writing, we're divorced, right? I've heard it could be as challenging as, you know, there's some formal process where you have to, you know, there's some, some time limit and some process and you have to say it seven times and then write it down and then you give a certificate. But, you know, the reasons aren't necessarily any more significant than you've served me a lot of bad meals and I'm tired of it, right? And, and so in a, in a culture where women don't have rights, then all of a sudden a certificate of divorce is also a, or a certificate of poverty. So I want us to hear this really clearly, that while yes, marriage is valuable, and I'm not saying it's not, and, and divorce most certainly is a, is a product of our brokenness as human beings, and that's part of why we confess, because we are broken, that's part of our humanity. I, I think that what Jesus was doing wasn't so much saying, you know, you should never, you know, 
marry some, what he's saying is women have value and that the only reason you should ever divorce your wife is for the fact of unchastity notice there's no context for the woman to get out of that relationship you know it's only if the man decides that it's over right so i want to i want to I, I don't know that this really clears anything up but i do want to say this this is not as clear-cut as we think it is it's much more complicated than we think it is and as complex and messy as human relationships are today they were complex and messy in the way in the time that jesus lived as well and so the way and just because i also want to finish kind of tying this up theologically sorry i i think the way we deal with this in today's culture where we do we have a lot of people who are married and divorced you know we we still have in certain sections of the church universal where if you're divorced you can't get remarried you know that that's how a lot of catholics become lutherans i think and you know thanks be to god and 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 we don't necessarily do that in the lutheran church but the reason we don't do that in the lutheran church is because our theology is nested in this idea of confession and forgiveness that yes we are broken yes sometimes things are our fault and yes we live in the consequences of those things that are our fault and when we hear those words that as a called and ordained minister of the church of christ and by his authority i declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins that is true too and that should mean something for the way we deal with people that that's part of what i love about lutheran theology we not only take sin seriously we take forgiveness seriously as well we uh we have in, in Deuteronomy, which I, I was reminded this morning as I was listening to the Working Preacher podcast on the way in, is Moses' farewell letter to the people that he's led for the last however many years. You know, I am laying before you some choices. I'm laying before you life and death or health and prosperity. And it is a choice. And he begs his people, choose life. Now think about, think about this I, I say conversation loosely. I realize that y'all haven't been responding much. But think about this conversation that we've been having about divorce. You know, we, we could certainly choose the hard-edged letter of the law. But remember what we talked about last week with what the law is. The law is not because God has certain things God just doesn't want us to do. The law is what teaches us how to live into the kingdom that is God's love that calls us into relationship. And, and so when we think about how the law relates to this, what is the thing that we do that builds up relationship and that shows God's love? Choosing the law isn't choosing to, to push people back and keep them in line. Choosing the law, the law is to choose that thing that God gives us to teach us how to love each other, to teach us how to care for each other. Yes, to keep each other in line, but also to teach us how to forgive each other after we've been hurt. And it's true that sometimes people are best loved from afar because the love we have for each other isn't a love that's healthy, and that's just life. I think that's also what Jesus is talking about when Jesus calls us back and says, you know, you've heard it said that if you, you know, that you're not supposed to kill anybody. 
But if you're angry with somebody, that's, that's like killing them. You know, and, and we've talked about grudges before and the power that grudges can have over us and the verbs associated with them. You know, we feed a grudge, we hold a grudge, we nurse a grudge. Those are caring words. You know, and Jesus is saying to us, we're supposed to use those actions and emotions of caring to do positive things rather than to hold on to negative things. The same lesson that we have for the kids is the same lesson that we need with regards to our anger that we see somebody who we're angry with and remember that they're somebody who God loves and so we're called to love them too. And I think what this section of Matthew finally calls us to is to really deeply consider what it means to be people who are living in the kingdom of God, not people who end relationships selfishly, knowing that it's going to put someone in a bad place, but recognizing sometimes we have to end them for cause. You know, not people who hold grudges and therefore punish themselves and everybody around them, but people who are able to learn how to forgive, not just for the sake of the people they forgive, but for our own sake as well. We're, we're called to be people and the swearing one is interesting because I think a lot of times we think about swearing and we think driving words. But I'm, I'm not convinced that there's any word of any length, four letters or not, that really has any power unto itself to be dirty or clean. But it's all about our intention. You know, think how mild it is that Jesus says, those of you who say, you fool, you know, you're, you're, bound, you're, you're liable for the hell of fire. It doesn't have to be a hard word, but it's a word spoken in anger it's a word spoken to demean. It's a word spoken in cruelty. And so this week when we go out from this place and you begin to think about what do I make of all this stuff that the pastor just said? Here's, here's what I would like for you to consider. How is it that when you look at the people around you and you look at your own heart that you hold them accountable? you hold them accountable according to the letter of what you want or according to the letter of God's love? And what difference does it make to choose between those two things? In which one of those ways are we able to choose life? And I encourage you, choose life. Amen.